You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. Today, because of this week and where we are, I'm going to step out of the study of Ephesians and bring a word that I hope will be pastoral and encouraging to you, helpful to you. It's a bit of a meditation uh, in some ways from one of my favorite psalms. It's a psalm I've taught before here, uh, but it's one of my favorite psalms. And I want to I root it and apply it in this week. Uh, and I want to talk about the gift of this week. Every week's a gift from the Lord. But this week is a unique gift, I think. And uh, this is a unique gift, a unique week in our year. It's a unique week in our culture. I think of this week as living, it's an eschatological week. It's a, it's a metaphor for the life, Christian life because we're living between the times. We're living in the already but the not yet Christ has already come. We had Christmas, but we're not yet to the new, the new year when we all believe that all things will be new about our uh, lives. And so we're living between the coming of Christ and the new, uh, which comes on January 1st. It's an interesting week. Um, a A lot of you are off this week, or you at least have a reduced schedule, or you have some time off. The kids are out of school. Uh, businesses are kind of slow this time of year, uh, and it's, it's the calm before the storm. It's the calm before the storm, because the Christmas rush is over, and there's this moment, this, 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 it's halftime. The Christmas rush is over, and January 1, things get rocking again. Life is busy, schedules are full, and you have all these goals and ambitions. So this is like halftime, this moment where we live between the times and the already and the not yet. And today, I want to challenge you to steward the gift of this week. To, to think of, now I know for some of you, you say, well, my, my life's going to be just like normal. Well, that's okay. You can still steward the gift of this week and make it not like normal. Um, I, I want to challenge you to steward the gift of this week and intentionally take this week to cultivate your soul. To cultivate your soul as you prepare for the next year. As you prepare for the new year. Let's not be passive this week. Many of us, this is a week, and it's great to take time off. I'm all about vacation. That's wonderful. And yet, we don't want this week to be passive, where we just sort of slip into the holiday triathlon, the holiday triathlon of binging Netflix, watching bowl games, and eating pizza. That's the triathlon of this week that many of us are about to enter into. But I want to encourage us not to just sort of passively slide into a week where next Sunday we gather and say, man, I have no idea what happened in this last week. Uh, none of my clothes fit anymore. I know that, but I don't know what actually happened in the last week. And it's for this reason that I want to look at Psalm 131 um, because this fits perfectly in what I want us to think about for the new year. Psalm 131, listen to this psalm. In my version, this is not in the original text, but in my ESV Bible, uh, most Bibles do this. They write a little title over the psalm, which is not in the original psalm, but it's the editor's way of saying, here's kind of the theme of this psalm. And for this one, my Bible says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Psalm 131, listen to the word of God. 
a song of ascents of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. It's a psalm of David where he is expressing confidence in the Lord. And because of his confidence in the Lord, it has brought quiet to his soul. I wonder how much many of us even know what a quiet soul is. Is your soul quiet today? Do you know what that means? Do you know how to calm a noisy soul? I'm convinced we all know how to create a lot of noise in our soul and to embrace the noise that surrounds us. But I wonder how many of us know how to calm a noisy soul. This is not about your personality, so we're not talking about introverted people versus extroverted people, because introverted people can have very noisy souls. We're not talking about circumstances like, let's just get to a place in life this next year where we have very few responsibilities and nothing to do, and then we can have a quiet soul. No, David has more responsibility than anybody in the room. David is the king over the covenant people of God, and in much of his rule and reign, they were living in times where they were being opposed by God's enemies. He does not have a relaxed, tranquil life. He does not have an empty schedule with nothing to do. He has more responsibility, more weight, more burden, more temptation to worry and anxiety than anybody in this room, circumstantially speaking. So we're not talking about just clear your schedule so you have nothing going on. That's not what we're talking about. David quieted his soul in the midst of a full life. What he's talking about is a penetrating work of God in the soul that reorients how we view God and therefore reorients how we view all of our lives so that we live life not with a frantic, agitated, anxious soul, but one that is calmed and quiet before the Lord. Well, let's look at this quiet soul that he speaks of. And he tells us several things, first of all, that don't make for a quiet soul. We could say it that way. Uh, First of all, number one, he says, the quiet soul is not proud. Verse one, he says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. Now, I realize he doesn't use the word pride Uh, And in the ESV translation here, but that's what he's speaking about when he speaks about the lifted up heart and the eyes that are raised too high. So uh, two other literal translations, the New American Standard and the New International Version, here's how they both translate that phrase. They translate it, my heart is not proud and my eyes are not haughty. So when he talks about a calm soul, the first thing he says is, it's my heart is not proud. The proud person is the one who has a lifted up heart, who lifts himself or herself up. David is saying, I'm not lifting myself up. I'm not full of myself. 
I'm not consumed with myself. I'm not not focused on myself. Many of us are going to head into the new year with a busy, uh, uh, with a noisy soul because all our focus is going to be on us. And that's going to produce noise. He says, my, that's not my, I don't lift up myself. Haughty eyes. Haughty eyes are eyes that are raised too high. That's what he says, my eyes are not raised too high. But it means raised too high uh, as a perspective uh, with regard to others. So my eyes aren't lifted up so that I'm in a position where I'm looking down. Haughty means arrogant, um, uppity proud, that kind of a thing. So he said, I'm not relating with others, sort of looking down on other people. Haughty eyes critique others. Haughty eyes judge others, evaluate others, always with a motive to feel better about ourselves. Haughty eyes look down on others so I feel secure and better about myself, so that I'm therefore, verse 1, lifting myself up. My heart is lifted up when my eyes are raised too high and I look down and evaluate others and look at myself and then feel better about myself because I feel more talented than someone else or maybe smarter or better liked or wealthier Um, more attractive, even more godly than someone else. Boy, there's the irony, isn't it? Looking down on someone who's ungodly because I'm more godly, which just meant at that moment I probably lost the contest where there to actually be one because pride is the ultimate sin and I am walking in it in that moment. But pride's not just feeling superior to others. The very act of uh, comparing ourselves to others is pride. He said, I'm not lifting myself up. I don't have haughty eyes so that I'm measuring myself in view of others, looking down on others. I'm not comparing myself at all. That would be humility. Pride would be I'm looking to measure and evaluate myself on where I stand with others. And when I measure myself and I feel inferior or discouraged or low self-esteem, that's the exact same thing. It's just inverted pride. It's my pride is crushed because I didn't come out better than others. So my heart is lifted up. My eyes are lifted up. In comparison, I didn't, uh, I, I didn't measure better than others, so now my heart is downlifted. And my eyes are low. I feel depressed. But the reality, it's the same motive. I've just compared myself. I've just taken my value. I've taken my identity I've taken how I feel about life and me and God and everything else by doing a measurement compared to others. The proud heart and the haughty eyes and the comparing with others, it never produces a quiet soul. We'll never arrive at a quiet soul. This is why one of the greatest modern barriers to a calm and quiet soul is social media. And I know I bring up social media some and critique it. I need to just have a whole sermon on the benefits of it because I don't think it's bad in and of itself. Like anything else, like money or anything else, it's a tool. It can be used for good. It can be used for ill. Um, but I do believe that it is absolutely a barrier to a quiet soul. You know, this generation has something, all of us, have something that previous generations throughout the history of the world have never had. We have a 24-hour access to a highly edited version of the details of everyone else's lives. No one's ever had that. 
you could hear a story about something. When did you ever see anybody's pictures before? That just never happened. You didn't see other people's pictures of what they're doing. Uh, uh, You just never saw that. But now you have 24-hour access to a highly edited version of the happiest moments of everybody's lives. All your friends, their best faces, their most romantic dates, their most memorable vacation highlights, their kids' awards and brightest moments, their workouts, their clothes, even uh, the great meal they had while you uh, had nothing or whatever, you know, whatever it was, the great meal they had. Actually, some of you spent yesterday looking at the Christmas other people were having uh, and looking and going, oh, look at oh, look at their family. It's so great. Or, whoa, glad I'm not there. However you looked at it, it's the same thing. It's somehow evaluating myself and how I feel about myself, measuring myself against when in the world, in the history of the world, nobody has seen a window into everyone else's life like this. All of my friends, the the friends I used to have back in high school, the people I want to be friends with that I'm currently stalking on social media to find out about their life. This is noise where it does not create, comparison is rooted in pride. Comparison is not new. Measuring ourselves against others is not new. It's just the access we have to a false picture of everyone else's life, generally false, that makes us think, or incomplete at least, that makes us think something about ourselves, which is why that uh, so there is so much hopelessness and depression amongst Gen Z and, and even younger millennials who've just known this their whole lives. The quiet soul is not proud. It is not the uplifted heart. It is not the haughty eyes. It is not living by comparison. I'm better than others or I'm not as good as, as others. He goes on to say the, the quiet soul is not presumptuous. He says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. I realize the word presumption is not in the text, but that's what he's talking about. Presumptuous means failing to observe the limits of what is permitted or appropriate. Failing to observe the limits of what is permitted or appropriate. And he's saying, that's me. I don't occupy myself with things too great for me. Things that are inappropriate, things that are, I'm not permitted to be concerned with. I do not occupy myself with things too marvelous for me, things that have such marvel to them that it's just not, it's it's above my pay grade, it's just not where I'm called to be. It's not my place, it's not where God has placed me. So he's saying, I just don't think about things too wonderful. Now, I know we're coming into the new year, and I'm, I'm supposed to be telling you things like it's a new you in 22. And uh, so I'm failing as an American pastor today because I'm not telling you breakthrough in 22. I'm telling you go into the year with this. I don't occupy myself with things too great. I just don't occupy myself with things that are too marvelous for me. I'm supposed to be telling you nothing's too marvelous for you. You're marvelous, you know. So it's probably not the right American message to give, but here's what he's saying. I know my place. I know my place. He's not saying live an uninspired life and never think a great thought, 
Never stretch yourself with a lofty goal or ambition. He never says that. He's not advocating aim low and accomplish as little as possible. Uh, He's the king, so he is accomplishing much. He is responsible for the entire nation of Israel. He's advocating instead that we know the boundaries God has set. He's not saying aim low. He's saying know your place and do not occupy yourself with things that belong to God himself and not to you. Do not occupy yourself with responsibilities that God has not given you that are his responsibilities. Do not think of things too great because you are placing yourself on the level of God. This is ultimately what he is saying. Things too great and things too marvelous apply to God. He's saying, I, don't, I, don't, I, I know what's God's business and I know what's mine. The fundamental message of the Bible is there is one triune God and you are not him. And he's saying, I know my place before God. Even as the king, there are limits to where he will let his mind go, where he will let his heart go, where he will let his responsibilities go. There's a clear line between what we can know and what remains unknown, for instance, to us. And until we embrace that place, we will have a noisy soul. This is actually uh, spoken of in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 29.29, this is what we read. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law. There are secret things that belong to God, and there are revealed things that belong to us. And a fruitful life, a flourishing life of discipleship to Jesus Christ is based on acting on the revealed things, not pressing in to know the secret things that are God's and God's alone. We must know our place. God does does what he does, and he does not always explain to us why he does what he does. And when we seek to, in all circumstances, know the mind of God, we can very easily begin to pry into what is not ours, and that's presumption, and it does not lead to a quiet soul. A quiet soul is trusting God to be God and me to be uh, a follower of God, knowing my place, that he is the creator and sovereign, and I am a limited subject to the good God who loves and cares for me. I love what David Pallison writes in an article about Psalm 131. He writes the following, Most of the noise in our souls is generated by trying to control the uncontrollable. That, that maps onto my personal experience. I don't know about yours. But it's, 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 it's going where I don't belong. It's rather than trusting the sovereignty of God, it's trying to control the uncontrollable. You cannot know why certain people do what they do, and you cannot control them. You may want to, I may want to, but we cannot. We cannot know why certain circumstances turn out the way we do. Most of life is outside of our control. And when we try to control what is uncontrollable, then we are occupying ourselves with things that are too great and too marvelous for us. 
when we try to control people and circumstances that we cannot control, we will find ourselves with a noisy soul that shouts at us anxiety, worry, fear, burdens. So much of this stuff comes from trying to shoulder what I'm not called to shoulder. I'm not advocating irresponsibility or some kind of apathetic let go and let God. I don't do anything. No, we're to be faithful in our various callings that the Lord has given us. It's just most of the universe is not our calling. It's a very small piece of the world that I'm responsible for. David says, I don't go there. I don't occupy myself with what God has not revealed to me. I'm not, I'm not trying to figure it all out. I'm respecting the barrier between the eternal God and the finite me. The original sin is Adam and Eve want to be God. He says, you cannot do this. They say, no, thank you. We want to know. Uh, we're going to have personal knowledge and experience of good and evil. We want to rule our own lives. It is the pride that wants to control and be God that is the first sin, and that is the root of most every sin that we are dealing with. And when it comes to this issue of trying to control others and control circumstances and carrying that it produces a noisy soul. Some of us have just come out of a day or a couple of days of that. You've been back with family or you've been back in some situation or you've not, uh, you just wanted to control what's happening. You felt that that feels very alive. That impulse feels very much on the edge this morning as we're talking. That, that control. What questions do you need to let go of this year to have a quiet soul? Again, I'm not talking about passivity. I'm talking about trusting God to be God. And so where are the things that I haven't figured out and that I can't control that I just need to, as an act of worship, cast my cares on the Lord for he cares for me and say, I'm not picking that one back up. It's like we've got a backpack filled with all of these bricks that are the burdens that we're carrying that we were never meant to carry that we're trying to be God, and occasionally we toss a brick out and set it on the ground. But an hour later, we pick it right back up and put it in the backpack. What if we could say before the Lord, Lord, I am not, there are things that are too marvelous and wonderful and great for me. I do not know why you allowed that to happen in the past. But I know the scripture tells me that you are good, and I've got a lifetime of experience to prove that. So I'm going to tell myself what the scripture says, that you are good. There's so many questions like this, though, that we carry. Why did that happen to me? Why did he or she die? Why am I not married? Why am I alone? Why is my spouse not a Christian? Why is my child not a Christian? Why is my parent not a Christian? Why is my closest friend not a Christian? Why won't my husband change? Why is my wife still like that? Why am I not healed? Why doesn't God answer my prayer? We don't give up praying, but there's a place that we bow our knee and say, Lord, I request this prayer but my greatest desire is that you be glorified and that I trust you in the process. 
There are answers God does not supply, and when we occupy ourselves with God's responsibilities, we will not have a quiet soul, and that's what he says here. So the quiet soul is not proud, it's not presumptuous. The quiet soul is not restless. That's what he says next, verse 2. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Boy, this is a beautiful picture of a baby resting calmly with his or her mother. David says he has calmed and quieted his soul so that he's like a weaned child. I mean, don't miss the poetic moment here, the, really the power. This is David, who is the king, who is a warrior, a mighty warrior. He's a general like really none other in the Old Testament. Uh, he is known as the slayer of Goliath. And he says here, I am like a contented baby resting on his mother's lap. That's what David describes himself as. That's how he describes his soul. Author Trimper Longman explains this picture. He says, a weaned child can rest comfortably in its mother's arms, while a baby who is not yet weaned is fussy and restless. Here the psalmist provides a picture image of the kind of trusting confidence that he's now experiencing. Now, don't miss this. It didn't just happen. He didn't say, I was born with the temperament of kind of like a weaned child in my soul. That's just always who I was. Other people fretted and worried, but for me, weaned baby all the way. No, he says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. There's an action here. I have calmed and quieted my soul, and so now I am like a weaned child. He reports that he has done something here. It's a cooperative process with the Lord. Uh, the, The Lord works in us and through us. From God's side, it is the Holy Spirit that touches us and changes our hearts and works a peace in our soul. But from our side, there's a process as well. There's a turning to God, a trusting to God, a repenting of various things as well that we're carrying and turning them over to God. There is a turning away from the endless barrage of questioning in our heads. There is a hearing the word of God, the scripture, and trusting it to be true. So there's a lot of process in all of this where we are telling ourselves the truth of scripture rather than believing the lies that keep coming to us. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a pastor in England in the previous century, has famously said, I've heard this quoted a lot, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? What does he mean by that? Well, he's not talking about some kind of word of faith, talk these things into existence, uh, speak those things that are not as though they were, and you can have your own reality. He's not talking about that. What he's talking about is when we wake up every day, the voices are going off about what you got to do and what's not doing and what's this person and, oh, I feel this way. and They're going off. And so he's saying, why don't we, instead of just listening to all this stuff, these voices that are telling us all of these things, why don't we start speaking truth to ourselves? He's not not talking about making some positive confession. He's saying, take the word of God and tell the truth of the word to yourself. Stop listening to things that aren't true uh, and start believing what God says. It It is telling It's telling our restless souls 
So we're no longer the baby who's got to be fed near mom, the unweaned baby, near the nursing baby. Uh, I don't unweaned, that may not be a term. The nursing child, when it gets near the mom, feels the hunger and is restless and is going off. He's saying, no, no, uh, instead of that, uh, live a life where you're not restless because you're telling yourself that God is indeed good, that he is indeed in control, that he is preeminently trustworthy for your entire life that I can really trust him and rest on him so that we replace our restless preoccupation with why, why, why. We, we, we replace that with a, a sense of the truth of the character of God so that we say, Lord, we wait on you. We trust in you. Verse 3, we hope in the Lord. And that's the last thing he says here. The restless, I mean, the quiet soul is not proud, it's not presumptuous, it's not restless. The quiet soul, very simply, hopes in the Lord. Verse 3, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. He addresses God's people and he says, trust in the Lord. He doesn't really give us a detailed process here. It's, uh, he, he doesn't make it complicated. He basically says it's the trust of a child which is cultivated ultimately in confidence in the character and the person of God. Some people have pointed out that Psalm 131 is a companion psalm to the one before it, which is Psalm 130. And one of the reasons they point that out is because this verse about hoping in, the God, hoping in God is exactly the same, but the previous psalm gives a little more reasoning for it. So the psalm we're reading, Psalm 131, says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Verse 7 of the previous song says, Psalm, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him there is plentiful redemption. So the previous psalm, they go together. These are the psalm of ascents. They're all sung together uh, on journey to Israel. Uh, to Jerusalem. They're all sung together. So they probably do go one right after another. Hope in the Lord. Why? Because of his steadfast love. It's the promise of his steadfast love that, that brings rest to our souls. That's the focus of his trust. It's the constant, unchanging love of God who is faithful to us forever and will never break ranks with us. The the scripture says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. He is for us in Jesus Christ. He rescues us from our attempt to control everything, uh, and he dies as a sacrifice in our place to forgive us for the ways that we try to be God, to forgive us for uh, our presumption, to forgive us for our pride in comparison, to forgive us from our addiction to restlessness rather than resting in God and trusting him, our unbelief, our self-effort, all of the things that we bring against his goodness and reign. He forgives us of those things in Jesus Christ who lives a perfect life, dies in our place, and is raised on the third day. Grace will always bring rest. The very nature of the good news of the gospel, the very nature of grace, is that it produces rest. The gospel in the New Testament said that it brings the Sabbath rest of God to our souls. 
that the gospel of grace brings rest because it amplifies what God has done and who God is, not what we have done or failed to do. Grace produces a deep, satisfying soul rest that your own self-righteousness and works can never produce. It only produces more restlessness. By looking at the cross and resurrection, we can, we can find calm for our souls and we can find the promise that God will always care for us. I love this verse, Psalm, I'm sorry, Romans 8.32 where Paul writes, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul is arguing from the greater to the lesser. He's provided your greatest need by sending Jesus at Christmas, when you weren't even looking for him, to live a perfect life in your place, to restore what Adam lost in the fall, uh, to bring the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God into our lives, to bring forgiveness of your sins and new life, union with Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you with the promise that he will return in a new heaven and new earth and make all things new. God does all of that for us. So if he's done all of that, can he not handle smaller things in your life, which feel massive? The marriage problem, the family problem, the finance problem, the issue of why, 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 why seems massive. But on the scale of what he's accomplished for you in Christ and what he's accomplished in reordering the entire universe, those are very small things for him to handle. Very small things. If God gave it all, will he not take care of you. We are loved, and this is the truth we must tell our souls. He loves us. He cares for us. He is faithful to us. So what is the noise in your soul today? Where are you restless in your soul? Where are you agitated in your soul? Where are you fearful and anxious in your soul? Here's one. What are you dreading about the new year? Maybe you're, not, maybe you're a glass half full person. Maybe I'm not dreading anything. Gee, thanks, Pastor. Thanks for introducing that. <laughs> I was coming in all happy today. We sang that old Dang Zion song. I was pretty good. Now you're telling me, oh, yeah, look. Uh, what is it that you're dreading about the next year? When you, where are you listening to yourself when you should be embracing the truth of God to yourself? Where are you believing someone else's evaluation of you instead of what God says to be true about you? How can you calm your soul? Let me give you a few takeaways, and then we'll scurry off into this strategic week that God has given us between the times to prepare our soul for the coming year. First of all, here's a new idea for some of us. Read this psalm and realize that the idea of a calm soul, that's God's design for you. This isn't for David because he's a king. This is for anybody that believes the word of God. This is for anyone who has the word of God, the spirit of God. This is God's design. I don't live at this place all the time. There are seasons where I rarely live at this place. So I'm not saying this is easy, just read it and it's done. But I am saying this is God's will. Many of us are carrying so many burdens and the Lord's not wanting you to carry those. He's wanting you to care But he's not wanting you to carry the full responsibility of uh, being God. 
So realize that this is the fruit of a heart at rest in the work of Christ in the gospel, who is building his church, who is making all things new, who is giving us glorious opportunity to participate in his mission. A soul designed for rest. That's God's will for us. So if I start with that's God's will for me, then I can begin to say, number two, I need to deal with the noise. What is the noise? Think about some of the things we talked about today. Where are you, uh, where are you trapped in comparison? Where are you trying to accomplish to be better than, to satisfy yourself or satisfy uh, your parents or satisfy, I don't know, what, whatever it may be? Where is their pride? Where is their presumption? Where are you not giving up? And saying, uh, you know, even the Psalms that start out with things like, how long, O God? Go read those Psalms. They start with saying, God, where are you? Why is this happening? But they always end with, yet my trust is in you. The, the, the Psalms of lament and how long, they never end that way. How long is always the first line, never the last verse of a Psalm. So it's okay to say, how long, Lord, why? But yet my trust is in you. And for some of us, my trust is in you will be demonstrated by not asking how long so often. <laughs> for some of us, be, you know what, I can just trust the Lord with that. I can just leave that with him. That's a work of grace. But we may need to deal with our presumption or our pride or our demand or our God-like complex that I must figure this out. Number three, realize a calm soul is God's design. Deal with the noise. Number three, it might be worth memorizing this psalm. And it might be worth memorizing Romans 8.32, which we just read. If he's done all this for us, will he not give us all things? So that I have something. This is only three verses. Uh, so that I have something to fill my mind that I'm cultivating. So I'm stopping listening to myself. I'm starting to tell myself something really good and true, the word of God. Here's how it applies this week. Number four, I recommend using this week and getting some time where you can get quiet and think about how you want to, by God's grace, wrestle your soul down to a place of quiet. This week, get, get alone if you can. Now, some of you are younger, you got little kids, you're saying, yeah, that's really great, Grandpa up there, empty nester, telling us all to get alone. <laughs> Grandpa, you want to babysit my four kids so I can have time alone. Uh, and then, then, you know, Put, it's easy for me to pop off about this stuff. Okay, I get it. Uh, that, that, is, that is true. Uh, but Grandpa can't even stay awake, so I got my own issues. So, you know, we all got our problems, don't we? So I realize it's tough. You may not be able to get a week in solitude, a day in solitude, an hour in solitude. I get it. But let's, let's see, what, can we do something to pull away and get some quiet? Can we help our spouse Husbands, if you've got time off work, if, if your wife's normally at home, or even if she's not, where, where, can you serve her by seeing that she gets some time? Get her a day away this week uh, if you're off work and you take the kids or something like that, where you can start thinking about what are the patterns of my life? Do I have regular rhythms in my daily, weekly, monthly, and annual life where I am engaging with God in a meaningful way? I'm going to recommend a book for you to read on this day away that you're going to take this week when your spouse gives you the week off, the day off. It's called The Common Rule, Habits of Purpose for an Age of Distraction. I'm going to recommend this book with an asterisk. Here's the asterisk. This book is about setting daily 
and weekly patterns in your life so that there is rest in your soul. Here's the asterisk. He's got a number of habits that he puts into place. You do not have to embrace his habits. I'm not recommending that you embrace his habits. I'm recommending that you think critically like he does and you come up with your own habits, which might be some of his or might be your own. But having some rhythms in our life in 22, you can write this down, take a picture of it so you can get this, whatever you need to do. But, but let's have some rhythms in our life where we are, uh, where we are, where we are embracing quiet rest in our lives? What kind of daily practices? What's a weekly schedule? Where could I get an extended time of quiet? Uh, I'll tell you a very simple one that's in this book that I embraced about two months ago, and I won't say it's changed my life, but it's changed my mornings. I know this could be legalistic, but it could also be a gift from God. This is one of his patterns, he said, one of his habits. In the morning when you wake, Bible before phone, unless your Bible's on your phone, Bible before phone. I said, what is that? And then I started to realize, what's my daily routine? I get up, I make my coffee, I get my Bible, it sits right here, and before I read my Bible, I scroll through my news feed. Now, back in the election, I could have a full nervous breakdown before I even crack the Bible. I'm like in the corner in a fetal position for the end of democracy as we know it uh, in the last election or whatever. And uh, whichever side you're on, the end of democracy, that wasn't a political statement. But, uh, you know... uh, so I just realized how much, how much angst is in my soul. So I started embracing that. So now I get up, get my coffee, and I read my Bible before I check my email, before I look at social media, or before anything, I do anything else. And it has changed the start of my day. It's a small thing, very small. You can do that with young children. Uh, kids, Bible before children, go back to bed. Or I don't know how it works, but Okay. We don't realize how noisy our soul is until we get quiet. Some of us, if you said, I'm going to take the morning and get quiet, you'll last about 10 minutes because your soul is so noisy. We need the Lord to help us get clarity on who he is and who we are. And then we can, like David, deal with a busy life. Deal with the pressures of life. Deal with activities. Deal with schedules. But do it from a place of a weaned soul like a child on its mother's lap. Last thing, discuss this with someone. If you're trapped in some of this and you have no rest in your soul, talk to someone and ask for prayer. Ask someone for prayer. Talk to your spouse, talk to a friend, talk to someone and say, I have got to shut down something. Things gotta change. I've gotta, I gotta act. I gotta put my phone away for an hour every day. I've got to, I gotta do something. I gotta get a schedule. I gotta work. I got to get where I'm encountering God. I'm reading his word. I'm thinking about him, and my soul is quieted so that I can hit the busyness of pace with a soul that is trusting God rather than running around with soul panic all the time. So we got a week. Maybe your week's pretty regular. If it is, try to find a time. Make it a week anyway. If you're off this week, wow, what an opportunity. If you're working half this week, wow, what an opportunity you have. Give it to the Lord. Say, Lord, help me cultivate my soul in the coming year. Help me hope your trust in you. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.